Well, welcome back, Men Podcast, episode 30-something. We'll have to figure out what number that is when I upload it. Anyway, uh, we're in the peak of dry fly fishing season right now, pretty much everywhere in the western U.S. Uh, there's some good dry fly fishing in the spring, but it's hatch-oriented. Uh, fish aren't feeding around the clock foraging on dry flies like they are in the late summer, early fall. So, figured it was appropriate today to catch up and bring you guys some tips on how to become better dry fly anglers and catch more fish on dry flies. So, let's go ahead and do that. Um, first off, you know, I would say just as a general audit of the fly fishing population in general, and this is coming both from a, from a guide and outfitter's perspective, from guiding lots of anglers. Uh, a lot of those anglers are do-it-yourself anglers too. They don't just fish with a guide all the time, but they're do-it-yourself anglers. I get to guide them part of the time, listen to their experiences. Uh, also, I'm the outfitting manager at, at Red's Fly Shop, so I get a chance to communicate with a lot of folks, you know, both before, you know, when we're planning a trip for them or after the trip and see how their trip was. So I, he I hear a lot of feedback, uh, you know, based on, you know, what they loved about the trip, you know, what, what was a, a memorable experience, you know, what maybe they could have done without with done without etc and then also just being on the shop floor chatting with lots of customers our shop is literally on the river we have a boat launch and takeout right there so we're talking to lots of do-it-yourself anglers so there's some there's some kind of tips and ideas that i can say that i kind of get back from a lot of guests that come out and do-it-yourself anglers that come out and the bottom line is you know people probably aren't catching enough fish on dry flies it, it seems like to me just based on the fact that i'll have folks come out and put them onto a pretty good day of dry fly fishing and they're they'll tell me oh my gosh that was the best day of dry fly fishing i've ever seen or ever had i've never caught fish on dry flies before etc etc um we kind of live in this you know i want my trout and i want them now you know modern paradigm you know we're we're kind of a you know me too and me now you know culture and uh, everything's served up pretty quick it's pretty easy you know amazon drops stuff off for us the day after we order it you know everything is pretty fast well as you're picking up fly fishing you know nymphing is kind of the shortcut that a lot of folks wind up taking um, sometimes involuntarily and when i say that that means they might have a fly fishing mentor, you know, that simply wants to see him have some success. Well, we tried dry flies, you know, didn't catch anything. You know, albeit most people only fish them for about 25 minutes, it seems like, and they're switching up <laughs> fast. Uh, but they might have a fly fishing mentor, a paid or unpaid, you know, it might be somebody just taking them under their wing, or it might be uh, a guide that simply wants to see him catch fish. You know, guides are... You know, we're so caught up in making sure that we get people excited about fly fishing and that we serve them up some trout and we have a good time that we often abandon, you know, that kind of that grind and that hard work that is fly fishing and that is dry fly fishing. And we, we a lot of times we end up selling people short. Uh, you know, the, the customers think it's great, you know, they, you know, we're getting them fish, but in the long 
run or big picture, we end up selling them short because we don't train people to really get good at dry fly fishing. Therefore, they typically don't often have the type of success that they should. So that's what winds up happening. I mean, I've just listened to hundreds, if not thousands of people and kind of their stories. And I just listen, observe and question. And, and uh, it just seems to me people are, you know, putting in the time required to, to, to become successful at dry fly fishing because it does, it takes some touch and finesse. Um, you know, everything's a lot, uh, you know, more transparent to the trout, uh, with nymph fishing. Um, you know, we won't even talk about streamer fishing. It's kind of a different deal, but I'll just say nymph fishing. Uh, with nymph fishing, a lot of times anglers are basically taking a, a buoy, if you will, big strike indicator, putting some weight on there, some nymphs, and, uh, we're manipulating the line. I mean, you could literally, you know, flop the fly out there. It doesn't matter what it looks like, mend it, feed it some line, get those flies to sink, and, we can get some fish in pretty short order, and it doesn't require a lot of that skill and grace that's dry fly fishing, so, and the touch. Um, you know, frankly, a lot of good nymphing casts are the uglier the delivery, the better, because we want slack in the line. Uh, whereas dry flies, you know, there's a certain skill set that, that, or techniques where you actually let the fish see the fly hit in, in, uh, in order to sell that fly, the idea of that fly being food to the trout. So, Anyway, that's kind of what I'm going to touch on today is just overlying philosophy because dry fly fishing really is the heart and soul and the the essence of fly fishing. You know, it's beautiful to cast. It defies physics when it's done right. There's nothing like, you know, hitting spots or hitting a target at, at 35, 40 feet with a dry fly and then having a trout rise to it. Uh, there's just nothing more addictive than that. In fact, I, I heard it equated, um, gosh, it was just like four days ago by a, a guest a guest of mine uh, named Andy, and Andy equated to, to that gambler's high, you know, and that's what a gambler must feel like, you know, when he scores, you know, where we, we prospect and uh, we make a good play or throw a good cast, maybe choose the right horse, and then bam, you get rewarded, and it's just so addicting, uh, you know, when you make that play right and you get it. And, you know, for me, I equate it to bow hunting. I do a hell of a lot of archery hunting, uh, especially for big game. And, uh, you know, dry fly fishing where I can actually pick targets and try to make good, stealthy, clean, precise shots and take those fish that are rising. To me, that's the closest thing to bow hunting that I can find. It's probably why I've got this racket that I do where I get to fish my brains out at work and then I can hunt my brains out as my recreation. Um, but to me, it's like hunting, you know, dry fly fishing. I don't think of it like hoping or prospecting or being hopeful that a trout's going to take my fly. When I send that fly, I send it with the idea that I'm in a predator-prey relationship. And uh, you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to go Rambo and full face paint and stuff like that all the time. But I do want you to appreciate that those trout are making, you know, decisions to to eat that dry fly with their you know, their life at stake. You know, they know that when they go to the surface, every time they go to the surface, they're susceptible to the heron, the osprey, the kingfisher, the eagle, and the angler. So that's a pretty big commitment for them to go to the top, and they they sure as heck better trust what you're putting on them looks real, and that you don't give them reason to, to raise suspicion, you know, by making too much noise, by casting shadows, and that kind of stuff. 
So dry fly fishing, you know, is much more like hunting. I don't want you to think about it as just generally pro general prospecting and hoping a trout's going to come up and bite your fly. You do need to be stealthy. You need to approach the fish with care and caution, uh, knowing that much of the time, uh, you know, if a fish is going to eat, especially a mature fish, you know, much of this, I'm, I'm, I'm all for catching small trout. Trust me, I got no ego about size of trout because I know when I do it right, uh, whether the trout's big, small, or, or medium, whatever. Uh, when I do it right, I know I've done it right. And uh, I'm really matching wits with the trout's brain, not its size. Even the big trout, much of the time, yeah, they're good fighters. You know, you, you hook into an 18 to 20 inch rainbow and man, it fights great. But the truth of the matter is we're, we're, we're going up against the mind and uh, kind of the wariness of the trout and not their size. Small trout are welcome here. Um, but when when you're going for trout and say we want opportunities at mature trout the first lesson or kind of bullet point that i want to make is that you should throw your cast with the intention of catching a fish in a spot on your first cast so you know i see a lot of this uh people walking uh, you know up to a little inside corner where there's a particular seam line or maybe a grass tuft or brush pile and they're going to drift their fly by this you know here said piece of water the same way, uh, you know, you might um, pick out a target in hunting. Trout you might not see all the time, but you need to look at the water and envision exactly where that fish is or the most likely spot for mature trout and plan the sweetest part of your drift to intersect with that because maybe your fly is going to hit and it's going to need a mend. Maybe a little ways into the drift, the fly is going to drag. But each cast is going to have a certain, each cast and the corresponding drift is going to have kind of a sweet spot to it, you know, where that fly is just right. So, and then there's going to be a lot of information coming at you. I don't expect you to retain all this, but maybe a few you will have these, you know, dry fly fishing epiphanies that happen uh, as I describe some things. But when you go to make that first cast, where you stand is critical. Most dry fly fishing, if you're throwing from, say, the bank side upstream towards the middle of a stream, the best presentation is going to be an upstream angle. And there's going to be a point or an angle of which you can cast at each target where your drift is almost neutral, requiring no mend. A straight upstream cast would essentially require no mend because it's going to float straight back towards you and be very, uh, uh, very drag free. It's all going to be, the line's going to be parallel with the current. The more perpendicular to the current your line gets, typically the more drag is on it. But, we don't want to put the fly line right over the top of the fish if we can help it. So a slight angle, maybe a 10 to 15 degree angle would be good. You know, maybe it's a 45 degree angle. It depends on your scenario and how the currents work. But I want you to think about where you stand as what we call the pivot point of that drift. And what we're trying to create is drift neutrality, meaning you cast it up and all you have to do is slowly retrieve your slack as it comes back towards you with no mends so that that fly is going to hit the water. If the fish saw the fly hit the water, we're not having to do any harsh mends or do any adjustments to it. So the fly could, you know, theoretically light on the water. Most of the time we're going to put it hopefully just far enough above the trout that it doesn't see it hit. And then that fly is going to drift back. But the kicker here where I see people go wrong is they walk out to a spot like that and they throw, you know, they slap a cast down kind of short, getting their line ready, peeling line off the reel still. Then they slap another one out and they go, okay, here we go. Now I'm going to add five more feet and really get the drift. That would be the equivalent 
to me as I watch all this unfold of going deer hunting and you see this you know, fabulous 4x4 mule, mule deer across the canyon. Like, okay, there he is. I got my quarry. The same way you, the same way you isolated visually a spot in that seam line that you think the big trout's going to be. And you decide you're going to take a few practice shots, you know, kind of near the muley, but not right on the muley. You take a few practice shots. You're like, okay, now I'm ready to go. I'm dialed in. And then you go to take aim at this deer. And you're like, where's the buck? Dude, he's gone. He's long gone. The same way that trout has wandered out and they don't spook the way deer do and whatnot. But I'll guarantee you that a lot of those trout are wandering out into bigger, deeper current because they feed typically in pretty vulnerable spots. They hold and survive in more protected spots, especially feeding on dry flies. They move into vulnerable spots because they want to be somewhat near the bottom most of the time, but they also want to have access to the to the uh, surface so oftentimes they're going to be either one feeding on shallow edges or two sitting suspended in the water column either way they feel a little bit spooky there then all of a sudden you slap the water a couple of times put your fly in pop it back out and people do this they don't get enough line off the reel they walk out they make a couple of these short shots they make a little undue noise and all you need to do is arouse wariness to the trout in order for him to win that's all you got to do. The trout doesn't have to feed on that bug. He's going to survive anyways. It's, frankly, he's not that hungry. And if he is, you know, the stars have aligned for you, and it's an anomaly. You know, good luck having consistent success, you know, using that strategy. Approach with caution and try to cover. And this is going to be a different piece of advice than maybe your grandfather or your guide has given you in the past. But I want you to cover as much water with that first cast as you can within reason where you can still meaning you don't have so much line you're making a sloppy cast or you have so much line you have a weak hook set but you might as well cover what you need to cover with your first cast if your goal is to catch a fish in that spot albeit a nice fish do it on the first cast save time don't risk arousing suspicion so go ahead and go for the gusto on that first shot. So that's your approach. Stand in the right position. Think about how you're the pivot point of the drift and the cast. And this is you know, somewhat related to wade fishing here. I'm going to try to cater most of this to you know, the do-it-yourself angler that's out there wade fishing. The boat game looks a little bit different. In fact, I kind of hit on, you know, like a lot of people wind up going on a guided trip, you know, or they might go with an instructor who guides as well. And the approach that guides often take when we use drift boats, I mean, our company, we guide big rivers. Um, so we're using drift boats, you know, 90 plus percent of the time. And we're covering a lot of water. We might float 15 miles in a day during the heat of summer. Um, the Akaba River Canyon is a fabulous guide boat river. Um, you'll get a guide to row his brains out for you for 15 miles while you blast the bank with hoppers all day. It's a pretty awesome trip. But we have the luxury of covering like 15 miles a day finding fresh trout all the while. So if we spook them, who cares? Well, let's contrast that against a dude who's you know walking up on a spot, parks his car, hikes down to the river, makes an investment of time in both walking, driving, you know, positioning, finally finds the you know good looking seam line, and he's gonna throw his you know parachute hopper or whatever he's throwing up that seam line. He does not have the luxury of, you know, just having another shot in two to three seconds like we do in the drift boat. So 
um, you know, approach those with caution. Wade fishing with dry flies can be very, very effective, but I want you to understand that you, you got to get to those spots. Go ahead and get them with one shot. Um, so, in guides can be very, you know, because we guide with certain strategies, it can be very misleading to the anglers as to how they might fish when they're not, you know, being mentored by us. And uh, I just say that our guides absolutely love to teach. And so, we, we do wind up kind of uh, mentoring a lot of folks that are going to go out and do it on their own. Um, the next thing is, you know, that predator-prey relationship I talked about, um, you know, any arousing, you know, of suspicion to the trout is really going to be met with that trout's decision, well, maybe I'll feed underwater. You know, maybe I'll move out into heavier current. Maybe I'll slink back into the deep. Um, as far as stealth goes, you know, have a respect for the trout's decision-making process. Um, you know, tips, you know, there there's some basic, you know, and I'll talk about tackle and some other stuff, you know, at some point in the podcast. I'm going to jump around a little bit. But it's a it's life or death to the trout. Okay, so if you arouse suspicion, you make noise, the trout's going to decide not to eat. Now, what does arousing suspicion look like? One, the, one of the biggest ones is fly line hitting the water. Fly, you know, the, your fly can smack the water pretty good, just the individual fly. And I, in fact, I teach a lot of casting to my guests where we plant that fly aggressively so that the fish hears an individual item hit the water. It's very natural. Bugs hit the water all the time. Pine cones, fir cones, leaves, twigs, just blowing debris in general. It's very common for small items to just to go boink and hit the water. Um, it's, it's not natural for a fly line connected to a fly to hit the water. And uh, the fly line is one of those things that uh, because of the nature of the sound, it's a, it's a long object, it just doesn't sound like food. So when that fish hears it, it just goes, whoa, what was that? And I could see it. I've watched hundreds of thousands of presentations out of my drift boat. I mean, I know this stuff is a fact. When that fly line hits the water with some authority, it sounds different to the trout. Trout don't like it. They want to hear that individual fly hit, much like a hopper plopping into the water, uh, or a big mayfly, or a caddis dropping onto the water to lay its eggs. That is fishy. So, in fact, I've run lots of drifts, and I'll talk about how to set the fly down you know, properly here in a second, but... I've seen lots of times where, you know, we've run drift after drift after drift over a seam line, and then all of a sudden I drop one in where I can actually splat that fly just right, and that fish is on that fly instantly. Like, you can't even keep him off of it. I mean, he just engulfs it because he heard it hit, reacted to it instantaneously. He didn't even really have a choice of the matter. It was kind of a knee-jerk reflex for him, especially in big pools. Um, so, fly line hitting the water spooky. The fly being picked up and pulled out of the water. Think about that. So you've all been casting, and your buddy, you know, winds up casting somewhat near you, right? The fly line goes flying by you. And you're like, whoa, you know, and it could be within just a couple of feet of you. And it, you're very cognizant of that line come by you. Well, think about what the trout is feeling when you pick that fly line up off the water right near him. And, and say the, the fly line and the fly are like two feet from the trout. That is an extremely alarming sound, and the feeling of that line being pulled and ripped across the surface is terrifying. That's what it sounds like when a bird crashes into the water, is that large object sliding and aggressively moving across the surface. So be aware that you need to let that line float free of the trout's area, and you need to pick up in a very slow, accelerating manner. 
if you ever hear your fly pop, like especially at Chernobyl, a small Chernobyl or a terrestrial like a hopper, you'll hear it pop, and that's because you're just simply you're bringing that fly tight too quick. You need to accelerate very, very slowly uh, when you pick up off the water. So that's another good tip. As far as the fish seeing you, keep in mind that the fish are looking upstream. They can see about 240 degrees or something like that around them, so they can see off to the side and somewhat behind them, but um, hence the, the name fish eye lens. You know, fish have an extremely uh, wide viewing angle, um, but they're, in general, their focus is going to be upstream. And we want to stay uh, low. You know, you don't want to be above the trout. That's going to be very scary to them as though you're going to come down on top of them, especially if you're whipping your fly rod around and creating movement. But generally, uh, you want to approach from downstream up for most applications for fishing on foot until you're fishing, you know, small to mid-sized streams and you're working back down and fishing the far bank, especially on a mid-sized river, something the size, you know, of a county road. Um, casting down and across current so that you can do big upstream mends and possibly feed line is typically a better approach there. Um, so you're, you're going to work upstream. Fish are looking upstream. We're setting the fly down delicately. Uh, we're, we're using the right rod for the job. Um, most trout fishing applications, you know, a five weight's going to be on the heavy side for dry fly fishing. I really encourage people to think about three and four weight rods for dry fly fishing. A three and four weight rod will handle a trout of, of, of good size. Fight them with a low rod angle. Um, the modern, modern three and four weight rods are incredibly capable. Uh, as long as we're not casting, you know, big flies into wind. Fly size has much more to do with rod selection than anything. Um, just simply because those lighter lines are going to hit the water softer, they're going to pick up out of the water softer, and because they're a smaller diameter, they're going to mend with a lot less effort, and the flexibility of those lighter rods are also going to add a lot to your presentation ability. So uh, lighter rods are a good tip. As far as leaders and, and stuff goes, that has a lot more to do with your actual fly selection than anything. Um, the same way heavier rods are very appropriate for, you know, uh, bigger flies, uh, bigger tippet is required for bigger flies simply to turn them over and also uh, to prevent tippet from spinning. Anything with big legs, rubber legs, uh, especially stiff feathered legs like a Dave's hopper, uh, all of those uh, flies uh, will have a tendency to spin tippet. So I often, if, if I'm in a situation where I'm using a larger fly, say a number eight on up, I'm often going to use 3X tippet and tie a, um, a loop knot uh, like a non-slip mono loop to, for that large fly to pivot and be able to move. If I feel like I'm over spooky trout in very clear water, oftentimes I'll add a very short piece of 5X, like 10 inches, into a loop knot as well. And, and if it's really clear, really spooky, and I'm hopper fishing, a little piece of 5X fluorocarbon so that that tip, it sinks and becomes completely invisible to the trout, but just a little piece of 5X fluorocarbon. If you try to use too much, it's not going to turn over very well and that 5X is going to spin if it's a long piece, uh, making it uh, very problematic. As far as fly selection goes, that's a whole different podcast in itself, but uh, be thinking about this. If you're in situations where you're going to be putting flies over the trout again and again and again, you know, repetitiously uh, throwing the same pattern over a captive audience, smaller is always better. Smaller, more natural is always better. 
you can sell them on it. It's delicate. It's going to move past them. It's going to hit the water quiet. It's going to be quieter when you mend it. It's much less obtrusive. So be thinking about natural fiber patterns. Um, we sell a fly called the split wing Adams, and we sell it all the way up to, I think, at number 10. Uh, and that fly floats really good. It's kind of got wolf-style wings on it. And uh, that fly floats good, men's good, is easy to see. And it's a fabulous attractor for just general dry fly fishing when you need to play in that small game, that small fly game. But that split wing Adams, better than a regular parachute Adams, it floats much, much better. And it's got some flash on the body, so it's just a good attractor. Uh, that in a little Royal PMX, a little tiny Royal Parachute Madam X, and like the 14s and 12s are really good for an attractor for running it over the fish again and again. Um, but be thinking small when you're going to run repetitiously over the fish numerous times. Um, if you're a hiker and a mover and you're fishing a situation or a river where you could move aggressively and move about within the river, um, it's a really good, uh, there, it's really, you, you could certainly fish bigger flies or it can be advantageous to fish bigger flies. Uh, a river like our home river, the Yakima, when an angler finds a bucket, he's probably going to fish it for, you know, you know, 15 minutes or so, let's just say he's going to throw numerous casts over. And then it's going to be a, kind of a hike to get to the next one, uh, the next dip. Uh, so in those situations, maybe smaller flies might be better. But if you're trucking up a creek and, or, you know, a river like the Madison, you know, that seems to be able to have, you know, a fish on every couple of steps, you're getting into new fishy water all day. Yeah, bigger flies are great to move and, you know, attract with. So, um Hopefully that kind of helps on fly size. Like I said, that's kind of a, a whole different podcast in itself. But um, stick with your dry fly fishing more. Um, you know, really be willing to dedicate some time to learning how to properly present that fly. And as far as casting goes, this is where casting prowess and actually practicing. So that when you walk up to a spot, you could put that fly exactly where it needs to go in that little bubble line along the sticks on your first shot without making the trout aware of your presence. You learn, you know how to false cast well so that you can make accurate casts. You can change direction well. You can generate enough line speed to punch flies up under the brush and up under the sticks or into the wind and get that leader to turn over properly. And I'm not suggesting you have to be able to cast 70 feet or double haul or anything like that. But you need to have some control of your loop size in order to throw a tight loop, generate good line speed, and your cast has to have some good architecture in order to have consistent accuracy, where I know when I take two steps upstream, I can lay down an accurate cast, I'm in fresh water, I've covered it, I can take two more steps up, take another little bite, another little bite, and another little bite, and I can continue to do that all day without having to think about my cast or anything else. So really investing time into developing a good loop so that you get good leader turnover, master your false cast, think about learning the basics of a single haul or incorporating your left hand at least a little bit into the cast. Double hauling is great. I throw double hauls almost everything over about 30, 35 feet just because it blows the water, that line speed blows the water off my fly a lot better. And when I say line speed, that doesn't mean the fly is slapping the water at all. It actually decelerates and stops just before it hits the surface. So you can have tremendous line speed and uh, still set the fly down delicately. And line speed is a good thing. That translates into accuracy and a dry fly. Um, learn, uh, you know, learn how to throw a roll cast with a tight loop. Uh, that's one thing where wade fishermen I see them really struggle. They, they, don't, they think a roll cast is just kind of a lazy flop. 
but there are some, I have a video called Rollcasting 301. Go search for it on YouTube. I think it's called Rollcasting 301. You know, it's, you know, tight loops or advance your rollcast or something to that effect. Look at the Red's Fly Shop channel and search for that. But uh, it seems to be a very, very well-liked video. And learning to throw those tight loops with the rollcast is going to allow you to fish in those brushy situations and still punch very accurate casts up underneath sticks and brush or into the wind with a dry fly and get into places where, you know, a traditional or let's just say an untuned roll cast is not going to be able to deliver a tight line. Um, so there's another tip for you get your advanced roll cast game going. So um, as far as hook setting goes, you know, read the fish. Ultimately, uh, you know, I've been teaching, you know, my anglers a lot about <clears throat> learning how to meet the fish at the fly. Meaning as soon as you see the fish approaching the fly or you see a boil developing, your rod should begin slowly lifting so that you can accelerate that lift based on the trout's rate of travel to the fly and how he closes his mouth or she closes her mouth and meet that fish at the fly so that the slack is taken out semi-gracefully. Semi There's still going to be an acceleration there that you'll take into a back cast in the event you miss the fish. But I really want you to picture you meeting the fish at the fly where your, your hook set starts very slowly before the fish actually closes on the fly. So um, hopefully all these tips help for you. I want to keep this to about 30 minutes. I'm definitely going to hit on another one. Um, but these, you know, dry fly fishing, I, I hate to say small dry fly fishing is a lost art, but it seems like we really are from the time I started guiding and the anglers I was guiding, you know, I guess it's almost 20 years ago. This is my 19th season as a guide. Um, in the last, you know, 15 years, I've really begun to pay attention. My first four years, I was just kind of trying to figure stuff out. But it just seems like the art of small dry fly fishing has somewhat declined. Uh, you know, we have flies that float better. We have better floating. They're easy to see. We fish a lot more foam, a lot more poly, you know, poly yarn type materials. And people can't really control the drift and the buoyancy of a small dry fly. People have trouble seeing their fly. And it's not because they have bad vision. It's because the fly doesn't land where they're looking. You know, they're aiming in one spot, and the fly hits six feet to the left. Of course, they can't see their fly. So um, I think all of these tips, you know, uh, should make sense for you guys. I want to keep them really simple. And let me know in the comments uh, if you guys want me to elaborate on any other specific disciplines that were discussed today. I really need your feedback on that. Um, and if there's things that you were interested in, but, you know, possibly weren't explained well, um, you know, contact me in just the comments on this podcast uh, with what you think uh, we should elaborate on in that arena as well. So uh, thanks for listening very much. Uh, if you don't subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook and stay in touch. The Reds team would love to help you get some tackle in your hands. And uh, we really appreciate uh, what you're doing by following us. And also, if you do like us on Facebook, go ahead and do that. And then enter on our online store, the promo code Facebook, and we'll give you 10% off. Anyway, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. See us at Red's.